Is this on? So in today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to another good friend of mine. His name is Aditya Natraj. He is currently the senior manager for programs with Azim Premji Philanthropic Initiatives, short for APPI. He works with his team which provides grants for NGO or non-governmental organizations. Before that, he became a member of board and manager at an incubation center at IIT Patna. This incubation center is a collaboration between the central government and Bihar state government. The incubation center is specifically focused on incubating ventures in the medical electronic space. The objective is to ensure that if one has an idea in medical electronics, the incubation center at IIT Patna is a place to be in to test the idea out. And before that, he was quite active in the venture capital space as an investment principal. He led a team of investment professionals in making early growth and to growth stage investments. So Adi, welcome to my podcast. Thanks, Karthi. Happy to be here. Thanks, Adi. So you are quite active for viewers in the NGO space in India. Can you tell me what is happening in the NGO space right now in India? So uh, the NGO space in India has been growing since the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, roughly, I mean, the NGO space has been active for around 40 years now, uh, in a formal sense of the word. Right. Uh, before that, there have been other uh, movements, like freedom movement, for example. Mm-hmm. It was It was started by... Uh, let's say a group of people or whoever it was uh, but uh, in a sense if today if you look at it there's some parallel of that if, if you look at it, it is being done by the NGO space in India right. uh, to, to, to say that there is a space in the country to actually uh, do things that you know that the government has uh, by by the very structure of the government, the government is not able to do a few things, mm-hmm. or the government's services and their their abilities actually stop at a certain place. Our country is uh, unimaginably vast, and uh, you know the the country is extremely densely populated. So reaching out to each and every person, each and every mm, you know mm, citizen of the country is a big task even for the government. So you need what is called organizations that reach out to these people, exactly. not in the sense of, let us say, uh, like a typical company would reach out to people to say, hey, mm-hmm. buy my product or buy my service, right? right. This, these are the two things that we are offering. Yes, those solve some certain needs of that person, but there are there are more issues in the in the country that need a humanitarian approach, that need a, a, a human-centric approach and not as looking at a person uh, in the country just as a unit of economics. How much can this person pay or how much can this person, you know, uh, uh, how much cost can this person afford? Right. Uh, that, that is typically a company's approach to things. Uh, you need somebody who will take a governmental approach to saying, uh, 
so are you getting access to basic needs mm-hmm. are you getting access to let's say um, like they say roti kapda makan which is mm-hmm. food shelter shelter clothing mm-hmm. um, and are you getting access to health and education right right so uh, this needs to be sorted out by some somebody typically which is a government mm-hmm. uh, but in many cases like i already described the government is not able to reach out to all the constituents of the country correct for various reasons historical reasons legacy reasons and mm-hmm. also uh, uh, you know uh, logistical reasons right. um, so you need a space like the ngo space which operates in the country right. to ensure that the last mile actually gets connected to the main system that we are so fond of or we are always talking about right so basically these ngos exist uh, here primarily to sort of fill up that last mile gap uh, that uh, that one might yes. witness in a, in a country yes. as expensive and as complex as ours right yes typically you would say that that's what it is mm-hmm. uh, in some cases the ngos are also very closely involved in saying hey you know what uh what is the uh, this this is what the government has done mm-hmm. now uh, but this is uh, not the right thing right the people don't want this right. so somebody has to raise voices against the policies and the things about uh, what the government is doing or not doing for example right to education mm-hmm. uh, should have been a basic right right a right to information right. it is our government we we have voted this government to power this yeah. government is supposed to be answerable to us okay. so right to information should have been like a fundamental thing in our constitution okay. but it wasn't there so some of these people came together and said hey here we need right to information so things like uh, narega for example right. uh, which is a national rural employment guarantee scheme right. uh, which ensures that uh, people who are living in the rural parts of the country right. have access to a minimum of uh, 100 days of employment right um, for because when they are not if they are farmers and they are they are not involved in the cropping season then what do they do in the rest of the time so uh, the kinds of ngos that we were talking about and what do they do right right uh, one of one of the things that uh, uh, a common framework to understand what uh, what ngos do in the country is three things mm-hmm. there are three hindi words that actually describe this seva nirman and sangharsh right okay uh, seva seva is service right. nirman is creation mm-hmm. and uh, sangharsh is um, is is fighting right i mean literally it's it says fighting but it's a struggle right yeah. so uh, when you look at it seva is you you do service right if 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 there is a healthcare that needs to reach the last tribal farmer of some village in rural parts of the country Correct. then you pro, you provide a local hospital and then ensure that that service reaches that person so ngos do that right then there is i mean i'm just taking a simplistic example but typically this is what ngos do they uh, they do seva mm-hmm. and then there is something called nirman mm-hmm. which is you set up institutions mm-hmm. to ensure that the to ensure that will the the people can help themselves right right so you you create you, you can say that you can say that okay. like uh, most the so what you see in the country is 
at the what what we actually what is very in our face is the central government state government structures right Correct. um that is nothing but but if tomorrow you or i stand for elections and we win and you or i become a minister for example right. it is basically us governing ourselves mm. right mm. at some point this chain breaks down at various points when you go down to the villages or these places this chain of self governance kind of breaks down because logistically in various other reasons they are not able to reach to that particular point so you you create institutions that serve the people mm-hmm. in various formats mm-hmm. you kind of live uh, so it it could even it could even, i mean i'm talking at a very systemic institutional level mm-hmm. it could even be let us say uh, one of us decides to live a vegan life right for example right we become an we become a source of inspiration mm-hmm. right or if you have seen somebody who's living a vegan life mm-hmm. right you will you will at least try to even if you are not or i am not able to follow it completely right. we are very enamored and we are very you know uh, we are very admiring of that person who's following that particular a uh, policy or principle in his in his or her life right, right. Um, so they become an institution of sorts so you go to them for anything vegan you pick up the phone and call that person right hey what do you think right so living life based on that is also institu- on a principle is also institutionalizing that thought process okay right so okay. that is that is uh, and ngos actually do that ngos have this in their dna that they will live by a principle right right um, and then there is what i call sangharsh or mm-hmm. actually this is a very well established framework in the country i heard it somewhere and i'm repeating it this is about challenging injustice struggling against a uh, power that is working uh, in, not exactly in the interest of the people right right um, you could see you during the recent uh, uh the sterilite uh, problem in tuticorin yeah correct a few i think a few years ago yeah couple of years ago i guess where uh, uh, police actually hired snipers to kill shoot, citizens. To citizens so you are yeah. waging a war against citizens really so somebody has to stand up for this right, right? um while that was a very in your face kind of a thing even till date we don't have like i don't know what is going on in the legal system where is that case what is happening but i can guarantee you mm-hmm. there are a couple of ngos if we dig deeper who are working on that case oh i see who okay. are saying why is there police injustice let's figure out what's happening uh, pull up uh, what's the nexus between corporates and government and police right. right so how does that work so somebody is trying their best to work for the people right, right? right so essentially ngos are doing this okay. at a very broad level okay uh, yeah it sounds very fascinating to me at least and uh, um actually i di- i didn't know there was this kind of framework that exists and uh, w- what it does I, and my assumption at least my thinking uh, was that if you when when i hear the word ngo or anything like that i always uh, associate them with with social uh, causes right so um like you know um preventing a girl child uh, getting married younger or uh, um trying to um 
uh, you know um, provide a, a sort of create a healthier environment in villages uh, wherein they uh, uh, you know they set up these toilets in uh, within the uh, villages so that they don't go and defecate outside and cause uh, pollution and cause diseases and things like that so those are the general things that generally come to my mind but it's interesting to hear that they are much more involved in in, the, in this in this um, in this space and and trying to help these people so that's that's really quite interesting and yeah uh, i mean just to kind yeah. of uh, i'm interrupting you but i just want to get in on this you said social causes yeah. right um, that is the key word there what is social right mm. what is social social is what you do for the people right right and for which people what right. kind of people would you work for so do you do you support uh, somebody like a vijay malya mm -hmm. taking uh, 5000 8000 10000 whatever crores mm -hmm. and fleeing the country right mm -hmm. so do you need an ngo working for him obviously not obviously not yeah <laughs> but do you need somebody who is let us say like you said a girl child or building a toilet in a village mm. for example right do you need an ngo doing that because there is no awareness in that village possibly possibly mm. uh, or if there is awareness there are probably no resources to build that uh, build that toilet right. or if there are resources and there is awareness then what is stopping them right somebody has to work this value chain out and figure out where is the problem and address that problem right, right? so how do you go about doing this that's the yeah. that's where the social cause of the ngos actually pervades through their actions so so basically like you said before so these ngos act like that last mile because the governments cannot do themselves everything by themselves because of various uh, restrictions and various reasons right because they might not have the manpower or they might have they may not have the um expertise to do those things in that particular space so ngo steps in and and does this so yes. um the so if if ngos um are doing this uh they are doing at a cost right so there that's there's a cost involved in that right so there is no benefit i mean i, I wouldn't say benefit uh, probably that's a wrong term to use i'm what i mean to say is like okay so this is not a company right so ngo is not a company so they are essentially there to um help those people who have not been helped for however years um and uh, they are trying to educate them they are trying to create awareness or whatever that may be uh, for and uh, and try to uh, help them so how do these ngos um balance those costs like how where do they get the funding and how do they uh, manage those uh, resources how how do they do that does government help in does government does anything uh, specifically to help the ngos out or is it primarily the ngo themselves driving these actions so um, this is a very interesting question uh, karthi i would like to break this down a little bit and i'll take this piece by piece right yeah sure uh, uh, one one part of the thing is ngos are not companies so what are ngos right ngos are either trusts right mm -hmm. or societies or section 8 companies now each of this is governed by different laws mm -hmm. trust is i think uh, the the uh, 
there's a there, there are two uh, kind of trusts one is a central uh, by by the by your state you can be passed as a trust uh, your state has an act and you could be you could register with your state uh, agencies and you could be a, a trust or you could be uh, in the central government central government has an act so you can be by the act of central government you could be a trust mm -hmm. and there are again within trust there are public charitable trusts and there are private trusts right mm -hmm. so like for example private trust is what uh, is where i when i was a venture capital professional mm -hmm. uh, all the funds used to be housed in that private trust oh i see the private trust used to be the holder of that so that trust is different these trusts are different so this are these are public charitable trusts those are private trusts oh, okay. so there's a whole different these are different worlds altogether oh, then see. there are societies mm -hmm. right then there is something called societies which is again some i think 1882 or something there's an indian mm -hmm. societies act or indian trusts act or something 1956 maybe i don't remember right now right. but there are different acts governing trust societies and section 8 companies so ngos uh, and section 8 company is a not for profit kind of a company where all the costs are only costs right you don't you don't make a surplus so if you make a surplus of income over costs right you you show it as surplus and use it in the costs next year right okay or your uh, because there's no income tax concept Correct. for these people right so so that that is where we step into the second part of the uh, question which is then if their uh, if their income mm -hmm. is tax exempt mm -hmm. uh, if they are registered as uh, all your societies your residents welfare associations and all these are societies for example okay right uh, just going back and giving an example for societies right um, if if you are looking at income being tax exempt then what where is this income coming from for the ngos and are there any basic rules governing this up to 25% of a ngos income mm -hmm. can be from revenue that they make like they can sell a product or something and make 25% of their overall income it has to be capped at that much oh i see okay they can't do more than that oh i see okay, okay. Mm -hmm. which is like you substituting like you could have as well be in a company then if 100% of your income is revenue You then you might have as well been a company yeah okay so cap cap it off at 25% right okay. then the uh, that is just an, a rule mm -hmm. most of the ngos are funded by uh, let's say philanthropic firms right. uh, are funded by uh, csr of mm -hmm. various companies mm -hmm. they are funded by uh, foundations uh, uh, and uh, various such initiatives there are there are also individual donors there are mm -hmm. like i don't know uh, but i don't know if you did it but i did it when in my first job mm -hmm. when my first month salary came i signed up with greenpeace for a oh. monthly ecs oh i see right okay. of some uh, 100 bucks or something oh okay so greenpeace i would give 100 bucks because for somehow i felt environment is very close to my heart okay. and we should preserve it and i am not doing anything about it Right. right so there is this greenpeace organization which does a lot of it and i should do something that i can so my first salary first month salary i had given 150 month uh, rupees and that went as an ecs from my bank i had to sign okay. some form and all that yeah, and they were 150 yeah. rupees per month even till date i pay them some 
I mean, it's it's become some other amount now, right. but it goes, right? Oh, so, so uh, organizations like these also exist, which run on uh, individual individuals' monies from a monthly salary. Right. Okay. Right. There are also religious NGOs, obviously. Right. Uh, you know, you know that I'm not talking about them at all. Uh, right, right. The, the majority of contributions are charity in India at least 80 to 90% of it, I can pull out the numbers, but I don't have them, goes to religious institutions. Oh, Could be churches, temples, uh, yeah, mosques or whatever, right? Okay. Gurudwaras or anybody. The majority of it goes there. Right. Now, who manages that and all that, that's a different discussion, mm -hmm. maybe, may not be for today, yeah. but this is, this is how the NGOs get funded. This is how it works, so. And what else? What that was your question? Yeah, right? that, the, that's, yeah. NGOs yeah, that's that's basically what I wanted to understand. How NGOs operate? Uh, thanks for explaining that, uh, Adi. Um, so I, Adi. So I know you. The so I know that you have been um, been a VC for quite some time. You have been an investment principal for quite some number of years, and uh, from that you sort of shifted gears and started focusing on NGOs. So what what was that change? What was the wider change that that you thought? Oh, maybe I should just start focusing on NGOs. Uh, what what sort of drove you to that decision? Can you just share with me? So uh, so when I was doing my job at the VC, my job would typically involve uh, running behind uh, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and asking them, "Hey, do you want funding?" Right. right? Uh, though the job is viewed or perceived very differently. That is, they, people think that people will approach you for funding and you decide who to fund. Correct. Uh, usually when you like to fund somebody, those people already have 10 other people running up to them to fund them. So you also have to join that race to fund those people oh, from okay. a VC world. Okay. Right? Yeah, so you kind of is, get into... So this is a little uh, interesting to me. I mean, I always thought, like, like you said, that's the perception you, we all have, right? When you talk about yeah. the VC, they say that, yeah. oh, that guy, you know, there will be a queue of people standing uh, trying to get a, an appointment with him so that he could fund their next uh, Facebook or something. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That is true, huh, by the way. There are, uh, I mean, you will have, like, the funders are very little right. and people seeking funding are very large. Right. So, uh, as in, in terms of numbers. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you will see that the supply demand is in such a way that the perception gets built in the way that uh, you and I can think of it like right. that. Oh, okay. uh, it is not invalid, but okay. what happens is in the in in reality when you want to fund somebody mm -hmm. and you find them to be a really great investment to make, right? right you uh, will also find automatically that there are two three other investors who thought like you. Oh, I see. Okay. And you are all in the race to get in, get into that company as an investment right. to make that investment. So. Uh, at the last mile, it is still a race to the finish. Right. Okay. Um, anyway, that was on the VC front, and that's uh, what I was doing. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I mean, that was uh, that was the that was probably a very exciting phase of my career, if I may call it so. Oh, um, I learned a lot of uh, how do you invest into companies, how do companies really operate, how do you strategize for the long term, mm -hmm. how do you look at how do you look at it? How do you look at companies not as single units but as 
you know a portfolio of companies that you are mm-hmm. actually investing into so on and so forth uh, over a period of time i i kind of started looking at uh, all of this as um, you know uh, so what am i doing right, right? Um, now the, when the focus moved to me i mean after the excitement kind of subsided you can say mm-hmm. so uh, then you kind of looking at what are you really doing right? right what is it that you are really doing and how do you actually uh, how do you actually think of value right. of the work that you are doing mm-hmm. you know most of the times i think all of us as professionals who have been working for other other companies uh, always encounter this dilemma that hey what is it that i am actually doing which is of value man here right right you you actually ask yourself that question many times right and and uh, while i was grappling with the answers to that question mm-hmm. the answer was was obviously not very simple mm-hmm. uh, um, a bit, many things happened and uh, one of the major things that triggered my thought process in a particular direction was the december 2015 chennai floods oh okay. uh, when that happened mm-hmm. i uh, i was i mean i was staying in a high rise building i had power backup i lost power for 6 hours i had water supply 24 by 7 now nobody in my house in my family or in my extended family mm-hmm. even got remotely wet in the floods right, right? forget Correct. forget any of the other problems Correct. but by some stroke of luck my number became the coordination number for alwar tirunagar and uh, valasarvakam area oh i see uh, some one tweet of mine went viral and mm-hmm. it became uh, it it went a different way and my number was out there in public people used to call me to fund people in this area there are floods okay. and people are affected see what we can do so i started going into the uh, into the areas of this valsarvakam and virgambakam and alwar tirunagar areas mm-hmm. trying to figure out people who are really stuck so i used to get calls from us and zambia and Nam- namibia and all wow. saying hey my parents are stuck in in this this area can you please go and check them out so i had a i had a notebook where it written down oh. where what is the address right. uh, where did they come from uh, where was the call from and i would go and check on these people right the old people right Uh, and you would go and check on these people and communicate back saying hey no these people are fine nothing to worry right. and while i was doing all this i also realized that there are people who have everything is washed away right everything that they had made in their lifetime right, right. is washed away mm-hmm. and here i am who's sitting in one high rise building right uh, with nothing that has remotely affected me right and uh, there are people who have had everything washed away and i am still trying to think of how can i fund people who are richer than me you see the see. you see the parallel that i got it yeah. so the these these people had no resources and whatever resources they themselves were able to manage mm-hmm. was washed away by floods by just one floods huh? this was just one month of floods and for me that was a um, uh, nothing kind of uh, i i didn't have a realization at that point mm-hmm. but i really felt a lot of turmoil within myself saying what is it that i'm really doing right what do i really have to continue doing something like this mm-hmm. and what is it that the future of my career should look like that is how i kind of went into even iit patna for the incubation center mm-hmm. uh, and from there i came to azim premji philanthropic initiatives mm-hmm. which 
which for so in my in my head right right um, mr prem ji became the uh, the uh, model for what i was thinking right right he became the symbol for what i was thinking that right. see here is a person mm-hmm. who became so rich mm-hmm. and now he wants to help this so in a way right. he, uh, he he was trying to give back to the society right, right. though uh, today after so many years i would say he is just doing his bit right, right? right. he's not, he's not really if you ask him he will also say the same thing i'm sure um, but uh, that is exactly what i really wanted to be a part of saying this there is inequity of wealth distribution in the country mm-hmm. right people have no resources to very meager resources who form the majority of the country right, right? there was one survey recently which said if you earn more than 28000 per month mm-hmm. uh am i getting yes if you earn 28000 per month as a salary you are in the top 1% of the country the rest of the 99% earns less than 28000 per month that that number is mind boggling man that number yeah. is mind boggling so that was exactly where i was coming from saying hey so if there is somebody who's got so much wealth and is trying to give it away i really want to get in there and understand what this is okay right and that is how mr prem ji is uh, prem ji uh, mr prem ji had this vision of putting it up as an institution he didn't want to just keep writing individual checks himself right. so he's institutionalized his giving so he's created a philanthropic initiatives mm-hmm. azim prem ji philanthropic initiatives where around 75 to 80 of us work okay and our job is to go mm-hmm. uh, look at ngos understand what they do mm-hmm. uh, in a way that we we identify the risks associated with what they are doing mm-hmm. and uh, see how well the program that they are doing we can support through the funds that mr right. prem ji has allocated for this purpose and this this is not coming from wipro wipro csr wipro csr is something oh, different so that is different and this is different yes I that see. is different this is different okay. uh this is mr prem ji's personal wealth wipro csr has a different uh, it comes from the profits that wipro makes oh i see uh, as so, a company and with that we have come to the end of our first part of my discussion with rd about what is an ngo what is happening in the ngo space in india how are these ngos run and his interesting and inspiring story of his pivot from being a vc to become part of a greater effort to fund the ngos and do good to the humanity it was clearly a very interesting topic to talk about with adi and i like to thank adi for his time there are more interesting things that adi and i discuss further i will release them in the subsequent parts I thank Anchor.fm for providing this wonderful podcast platform to host some really amazing podcasts including mine. Don't forget to check out my other episodes about the job market in India during the pandemic and my discussion with an ambient music producer at anchor.fm/kartik. I would also like to thank Escon for providing the intro music. You can listen to more such tunes in soundcloud until next time stay tuned stay safe catch you in the next one